Support for this podcast has been provided by Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, making money meaningful. Whereas Israelis are much more results driven, no one cares about how they look like. They would usually, you know, wear sandals to work. They would probably stink a bit more than the average American. They don't care about how they look like or how, they, how they're perceived, being pursued. They care about, you know, getting things done. And, you know, if it's making money, if it's you know, closing the deal, if it's selling their company, that's what they care about. And they'll do everything that they can to, to get to that. This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as the Startup Nation, the state of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and of course their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. Last summer, my wife and I decided to take a family vacation to Italy. So I opened my laptop and surfed the web for the best airline fares to Rome. We spent a few days considering our various flight options. But what was interesting was that every time I used my laptop, or my iPad, or my iPhone, banner ads featuring flights to Rome were consistently displayed across all of these devices. I actually found it very effective and helpful, and it actually kept the trip top of mind. And at the end of the day, I got a pretty good deal. It turns out that cross-device marketing is a strategy that consumer brands invest heavily in. In fact, 84% of marketers feel that a comprehensive cross-device marketing strategy is essential for success, but the problem is that only 20% feel very confident that they are serving the right message on the right device to the right person. And that's where device mapping comes into play, trying to figure out what devices are owned and operated by who. And with the average household having almost six connected devices, device mapping becomes critical to the marketer. And that's where a company called Crosswise comes into the picture. Founded by Jonathan Seidner, Steve Glanz, and Ron Ryder, Crosswise has become a massive device mapping database, which fuels cross-device marketing to levels never seen before. And boy, has it worked. With me today is Ron Ryder, the co-founder and the former VP of R&D for Crosswise. Prior to Crosswise, Ron served in the Elite Intelligence Unit 8200 for the Israel Defense Forces, and he worked in the fields of web security and operating systems. After the Army, he worked in several high-tech jobs and then received a BS in computer science from IDC in 2013, and it was then that he helped co-found Crosswise. Ron specializes in web architecture, web development, and big data systems and security, He's actually also a mentor at the Google campus in Tel Aviv, and he helps startups choose the right high-tech architecture for their products. Today, Ron, after selling the company to Oracle, serves as a senior director of engineering at Oracle at its beautiful development center in Israel, which is actually where we are recording today's interview. Before we get to Crosswise, um, Ron, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, where were you born? Um, Israel. Israel. We're in Israel. Uh, near Haifa Rambam Hospital. But I did move to uh, uh, the Galilee, the Western Galilee, eventually. It's a place called Mizgav. It's a very nice green place uh, with awesome people. 
Um, so mm. that was a, I was a nice, fun childhood. I did live in the U.S. for a couple of years. Really? How old yeah. were you then? I was uh, 12, 13-ish. And you, you were there for what reason? So Yeah, my dad works in a place called uh, Raphael, which is uh, like... You know, so, yeah, the kind of a the defense military, contractor. Defense, yeah, exactly. So he was a technologist. He was a, yeah, he was. A, he's still a programmer. You know, electrical engineering you know, may, turned into a programmer because you know when he learned when he studied electrical engineering, there was no such thing really as programming. Uh, so yeah, that's how he kind of you know got into this to the field of programming, and I kind of eventually uh, just you know. Learn from him. I, I saw some friends of mine, like friends of my brothers, actually start a program, and I was like, I was, in, in, you know, I was enchanted. I was like, I was shocked by how awesome it is. Uh, and he, how old he picked you, that up. How old were you when you first started learning? Uh, I think nine. Nine years old. Yeah. And and you learned by yourself, or you learned? So yeah, my my dad did. I discovered that I wanted to do it, so he kind of like took me in and started to teach me. Uh, so that's how it started. And I think, you know, since then, like all my childhood was mostly like, you know, just experimenting with programming. Um, Do you remember the first thing that you programmed? Well, yeah, I do. There you go. What was it? It's uh, it's in basic. It's a scene of, of, uh, of the moon. It's, it's just something that renders a scene of how the moon looks like, you know, from someone like standing on the moon and looking at earth. Uh, that's, it, wow. it's just basically a program that draws lines and dots and, and paints and that's, it's basic. And so growing up, you really knew you wanted to be a technologist or in technology. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, there was a point in time where I wanted to be like a pilot, but yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> everybody wants to be a pilot Everyone at some wants point. To be, exactly. A doctor, a pilot. No, I just, yeah, I just, that, you know, life led me to there. And then eventually the army recruited you for 8,200. Correct. And, um, How'd you feel when you got in? I was kind of like, what am I doing here? I don't know. Like everyone's like, you know, around me, like weird people, very smart, (laughs) much smarter than I would assume. And I would like, I didn't feel at home much, but you know. And, and did they fuel your, your knowledge or like, how did that, how did that impact you that experience? So there's, you know, if let's, you know, let's go to the extreme, you know, there's, there is no such thing as a, uh, a you know someone who grew up with 8200 grads and not thinking about starting a startup because it's such a norm you know like i lived in the same apartment with two people one of them sold a company for 300 million dollars one of them sold a company for 450 million dollars that's my standard in life right <laughs> and when you get to the you know the, when that's your friends like you can you say who those really? were yeah so well well yeah, I, one of them I, I'll say, which is uh, uh, someone called Tamir. Okay. Uh, he's uh, he's GM of Magic Leap. He sold the Prime Sense to uh, to Apple. Got it. Well, the other one I prefer not because it's a bit complicated. No problem. No problem. But uh, yeah. So you, you you grew up surrounded by people who first were passionate about technology and then were insistent on you know wanting to start their own businesses. So coming out of eighty two hundred, that was a goal of yours. Yeah. You, you actually, before you got to Crosswise, you started a company called Interactive Tutorials, which actually is still running. Correct. Tell us about that. So, um, you yeah, know, one, one night I was like frustrated from the fact that people can't just uh, learn how to program in Python. I felt like, 
you know, I wanted to see, I wanted to show people how easy it is. Um, and there was, I was like envisioning a system that you would go in and write like, hello world and click the play button and you wouldn't have to download a, an interpreter or even figure out like, what is an interpreter and, and, and just skip the whole thing and first get you hooked on, on programming and getting you to actually want to, to do the hard stuff of, you know, scaffolding all the IDEs and interpreters, like all the de- development environments. And like that stuff isn't really interesting. And that's, I think, is a kind of a very big, it's like a wall. It's a like, barrier. It's a barrier, right? Yeah. That, you know, just kind of is just, you know, make, makes people like that want to try out programming, not not I mean it's it's hard enough for you to just get demotivated right so then you eventually won't even try it and then you're like okay never mind so and I really thought that if I would unblock this big thing and just you know have an like interactive tutorial uh online uh then people and it would be free then people would um for sure you know sign up and and start you know coding uh you know it started out in python only uh and it was like very slow uh but it grew and 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 today i you know just just my python website i haven't checked for the rest but just my python website has 350,000 unique visitors per month wow 350,000 people visitors per month that go in and basically take the courses that you designed correct to teach them how to program python yeah, and then there's like other websites as well. Like I, I started up Java, C, Ruby, uh, PHP. You know all these programs, like everything, right? And it almost sounds Go. like uh, that could be a completely different uh, career for you. And another, your next, you know. Yeah, well, you never know, right? Never know. I, I, so I got multiple acquisition offers for that, but it was never like you know. I was the never 300 like, to 450 million dollars that your roommates were getting. <laughs> yeah, well, not that much, right? But uh, everyone is like, you know. Looking at it as 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 assets that you know they may want to have, but uh, because it, they're very high up, high ranking in the SEO, like I'm usually number one to, um, you know, around the Code Academy, uh, Code Academies and the Khan Academies and stuff. But you know, very very high there, uh, high up in Python's for sure number one in most of the browsers. You know how it works; it doesn't sure. work the same way from all the countries in the world. Right. Uh, What's the most popular country? Um. So United States. It is. Yeah. And and it's only in English. It's in English. No, actually, there are there are languages. So so today, people actually translated and helped me to by like build the, the tutorials. It's actually like the tutorial. The contents are actually open source. You can actually wow. take them and do whatever you want with them. Wow. Yeah. To focus a little bit on 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 Crosswise, where was the idea from? Who, who thought of the idea? Well, I think it was somewhere between Jonathan and Steve, but it's Steve mostly. That's uh, Steve Glanz and Jonathan Sider. So yeah, co-founders. So, I'll start from the beginning, right? You know, I, you know, I, I look for people to uh, start a company with, and it was a long process. I'll, you know, long story short, you know, I met Jonathan. Uh, actually, we li- we worked in the army together, uh, but I kind of met him again, and like we 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 uh, synced up. Um, the guy who actually told us to meet again was a guy called uh, Yaron Inger, which I don't know if you heard, but just uh, had a mini exit uh, and just made like $60 million from that. And he still owns like uh, the majority of the company. So that class of 2008 from 8200 yeah. <laughs> probably has a, a GDP worth of, oh, uh, yeah. you know, the country probably. He was my, uh, my, like, my mentor in the yeah. army. Wow. Like, I, I, I think very highly of him. Yeah, he's amazing. So you met Jonathan. Yeah. And 
you were in search of a business. Correct. So you knew you wanted to start a business. Correct. And what happened then? And then Jonathan was like, you know, I met him and he told me about, you know, the ad tech world and identities and, and like the problem of cross device and like, and how to make money off of identity over the internet. And I was charmed. I was like, you know, amazed by, by how much I, I was intrigued by the, by, by this world, by how techy it is from one hand. And from the other hand, like I felt like I had an opportunity to actually make a difference there. Like with the things that I've learned in the army and like the thing, like my passion, like it, it was like very high alignment. And I really liked Jonathan. He was again, he's a serious person, right? You meet him. The first thing you, you, you think about is like, man, I can rely on him to like work super hard and be super serious about what he's doing. And he's like super. It's, and I know both of you very well. And, and clearly your personalities are complimentary. Yeah, you're you're not alike. You, you both bring two very, very different things to the table. Yeah, I, yeah I'm more like chilled out, you know, yes. trying to, <laughs> just going with the flow. You know, and he's like, no, well, we, we're going to build this. Detail this oriented, be, yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's how it will work. We'll have to do this, and like this is a plan. Okay. And then how did and Steve come it. in? Yeah, how did Steve come Steve, in? Steve. So Steve and Jonathan worked together in my things as a company that was unfortunately closed recently. Uh, it's a retargeter. So they do uh, retargeting, and Got and it. Steve was uh, he worked at BizDev there, and uh, he uh, he was tasked to find a company that can um, license their their technology to uh, make it possible to do cross-device retargeting. Got it. What was the problem for our listeners that you were trying to solve? So the problem is how do you fix the broken internet in the sense that uh, the devices are kind of siloed um, to themselves and not connected, interconnected to the persons that actually use them, right? So I use a desktop a laptop, an iPad, and, and no an one iPhone. Knows, and no one knows that you're the same person. Except right. Facebook, right? So Facebook knows that. Because, because when you I'm log logged in, in on correct. Facebook and all the devices, they know it's the same person. But what right. happens when you don't log in, right? And that's where CrossSize comes along. And that's where the, you know, the open internet targeting is where, um, you know, that's where our solution is needed. So someone, so all these companies like MyThinks, so they need a technology to be able to bridge devices that belong to the same person without actually knowing the person beforehand. A consumer device map. Correct. Got it. So the three of you got together. Um, you, you became enchanted with this idea of, of cross-device marketing and being the yeah. data behind it. Correct. Um, did you guys vet the idea before you, you launched? Yeah, well, well, first of all, we had a strong you know, say from, from my things that they would buy it um, if we had it. So you had a customer who was willing to pay for it already? Yeah, and we yeah. had some more. We, we There were some talks, you know, the VCs especially had some due diligence done there, right? So they called a few of their friends, you know, that have like companies uh, in the ad tech space and they, they asked them like, would you do that the same? And yeah, the, the answer was pretty much, yeah, it's a problem we know. We need it. And uh, early on, how did you fund the company? Well, um, you know, we just started, uh, you know, writing uh, some presentations up, uh, meeting investors. Uh, These are private people, institutions, or institutions, v VCs, right? That's uh, you know, we met around forty, uh, and then eventually, uh, November, on twenty thirteen, uh, we got uh, Giza, 
Ventures, which I don't think they invest much anymore. Uh, well, the partner that's there right now uh, that made the investment was is called uh, Eyal. He's he works at Pitango right now. Okay. Uh, it's so Giza. It's a Horizon Ventures. It's a very interesting uh, VC fund. Uh, our crowd. Um, so our crowd some, is is that is that crowdfunding uh, site company that really. Uh, Actually, also an Israeli startup that actually is revolutionizing, you know, how you raise money for startups. Yep, and yeah. and then we had some more uh, angel investors led by uh, Moshe Lechtman, uh, Saur Vilf. He was one of them as well. Um, and this is before you had anything written. This is this is an idea on a piece of paper, yeah. and three very good, you know, in you know captains. Correct. So we. Oh, actually, I had to f- correct you on something. I was actually not an officer in the army. Okay. But, uh, well, you look like an officer. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, although you're a little bit laid back for an officer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no problem. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So we raised $2 million. And then, you know, the fund started, started uh, raising, uh, started hiring people, spending the money, you know, building partnerships with data partners. Uh, starting to look for customers around May of the, you know, six months later, I think. So you had a product by May? Uh, no, we had a product by September and September was our, actually uh, the first deal that we signed. Uh, it was with a company called Data Logics. Sure. Which was uh, um, mysteriously acquired by a company called Oracle about a month later. <laughs> we were very worried, very concerned that things are going to be, you know, uh, not good for us for our first customer. Uh, eventually, that that was you know the path that actually led us to the the diligence that you know led uh, Oracle to understand that um, we're the company that they want to buy. Wow! Because they had a strategic uh, understanding of, of the you know the the ad tech space and and their needs, and they 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 decided they needed uh, in house the this type of technology. Oracle, so they became a customer of yours. Correct. Well, I mean, implicitly, right? Implicitly, because Theologic was, was the original customer and then they were, they were acquired by Oracle. Yeah. Um, how big was that first contract? Well, you know, our contracts were pretty big, right? So it, there were, all of them are around the two, 300K uh, per year, wow. right? Mm-hmm. We actually reached around a $4 million ARR, you know, pretty early on, uh, I think within a year and a half of sales. Or even two. Within a year and a half, you did... Of sales. Of sales. Of sales. Wow. Like, since that, yeah. And so, you grew the company. At what point did you say, you know, this actually might work? You know, in startups, it's it's actually, you think about the opposite. You just, you're, you're, you're obsessed with when, we are looking for the signs that it's not going to work. And they never came. Well, I don't think they came. They, they came. Well, there was one point in the, in the life of the company that we actually lost our primary data source that we thought it's going to end our, our company's life there. Tell me about that. Uh, well, we, we had a, like a deal with the start with the company. Sorry. It was very, very intensive on them. They they eventually just shut us down. So they, they provided what to you? Oh, they provide. So, so the way the crosswise works, um, is, is basically, so we, we kind of just see a lot of the internet, like browsing activity, and we correlate the browsing activity between all the devices that m- seem like that they act in, in a way that, you know, are 
um, uh, uh, patterns of, of, of devices that belong to the same person, right? So yeah, you'd look so. at a pair, right? And, you know, one device would you know, be interested in sports and would be coming out of the same home and same household, and the other one would also be sports. Then you had the third device that would be interested in Barbies. You would, you, you would probably say that the first pair, like, makes more sense than the second pair, right? So that's the kind of machine learning that we've uh, uh, built out to maximize the precision of the graph. How big is the data now? Like, how much data do you guys, do you guys own? Um, in devi- the number of how devices? devices? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like in the hundreds of millions, right? It's, you know, you can get to like 70, 80% of, 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 of like the population of the U.S. easily, right? I mean, it's, it's actually not that hard to just see the internet, like some subset of the internet. It's like, if you think about it, like we, we, we browse all day in like so many websites, you know, and everyone's trying to monetize on their data, right? And, and we're, we're there, right? We, we're, we're, we're the guys you can monetize your data with. This company, this particular vendor of yours, are, they shut you down. They shut down the, the, the data that they were providing. Yeah, long story short, we found a solution uh, and it didn't kill us. Okay. But it was very but close. You were, it was close. It was close. It was like you would not imagine how close it was. But, you know, you, you need some luck in life, you know, and that's, we, we always hear, right? You always hear the story of a startup that was almost like that three times. So we had that as well. Yeah. I think, I think um, not failures, but difficult times, right? Barriers or challenges that test you become very important in, in become very formative events. Not right. only, in, not only, in the business life, but in the personal life. I mean, going through the hard times is what, is what creates character, not going through easy oh, times yeah. in, in life. Yeah. Was that, well, that was the hardest moment of, of Crosswise when that happened? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, oh, well, you know, the whole thing was not easy, right? Because we worked very intensively, very hard. But yeah, I would say it was the hardest. You build a business, hundreds of millions of devices that you're mapping, um, which was unique. Nobody else was really doing it at that time. Well, we had a few competitors, but um, you know, if you look at Oracle's perspective, we were favorable in, in both like the technology sense, like in, we had the best technology, um, as well as the type of company that we've built. Because the other two companies were more like media uh, companies that actually did not like. Well, they, they, some of them did like they do resell the data, but the, the, they were built as a media company. They were built in a way that they actually uh, sell advertising um, services, right? And though when you're selling advertising services, how can you buy your core technology from another, like, at, right? So it, it's there, it creates a conflict of interest. So, uh, but but that you know that was one of the reasons that Oracle kind of. You know, Oracle just in general is not like I'm not gonna you know say too much on what Oracle's strategic uh, values, but right. they're not really interested in going into the media space. Right, and that's a different business altogether. Right? Yeah, it's I mean, a different I mean, business. Knocking like, on doors, getting advertisers, and yeah, we we want to be the you know the professional like data providers. Right? The engine behind the engine behind the right. ads that are served. Right. And so basically today, if you open up your phone and you see the same ad that was on your desktop or your iPad, that's all you. That's all well, you. if you're on the open internet, yeah. you know, and you're not using the technology of our competitors, right. <laughs> then it's us. Got it. So you were building the business and obviously the company got eventually acquired by Oracle. Were you guys shopping at that point? Well, the story is that uh, Oracle kind of approached us. Uh, you know, they were like, 
like we were just you know contemplating the idea and uh and then like we had some more interest in, in us like from several companies and it just things are just started to heat up you know like naturally and and i think that there's like there comes a point where you know that people are super serious and you start getting term sheets and like and then the game's on right so people like um understand you know if they don't give us an offer now uh, it's not going to happen. So they're, they're going to lose out on it. They're going to lose out on it. And I think that's eventually, you know, that, that, that that's what happened, right? So that, it just, you know, we had a different, you know, like people. Did you hire an investment banker for that process or you represented yeah, yourself? Yeah, we did. You but, did. But uh, it, w- it was mostly because we were very inexperienced uh, and we were so scared. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, and, and I have company, like friends of mine who did not, right? You know, and, and, and I appreciate them, but I know I I like to well it, I do prefer to be on the safe side uh, as much as I can. You were Seidner because uh, Jonathan's oh. very very safe conservative guy, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and Steve, yeah, yeah, both like the three of us. Like, yeah, I'm I'm the least, but still very much. And they're right. like, you no, know, yeah, they're right. they're to the extreme, right? So yeah, that was uh, that was easy for 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 us. So as the process progressed with uh, with Oracle. How did you feel? I mean, it's it's a little bit bittersweet. You start a company from nothing, you build it into a, a substantial player in your industry, and then somebody wants to buy it. Mixed feelings? Well, you know, it's um, it's a journey, right? So even today, the journey continues. Um, you know, what, when you build something, you want to also make sure that you um, place it on the ground and or or on someone else's hands and he takes care of it and takes takes over and then you can move to the next thing so we're like literally doing it right now right we're you know we're at the point where we we're taking our technology and we're you know just implementing it some somewhere in the organization where we're actually not going to deal with it anymore and we're actually doing like completely different things right now. So my my office today, the, the, we're we're actually working on the core business, uh, the technology, the core platform of of, of ODC Oracle Data Cloud, which is the what, what's called the audience platform. So we, we deal with audiences mostly. That's most of our uh, uh, revenue today, and and that's that's what my my team does today. So, so you guys really did pivot away from what you were doing when you sold the company, to, you know. Completely different, right? Business. So I was I was mentioning data logics, right? So they they're kind of the core identity people in ODC. So so the the whole project that we've just you know kind of we're almost finished with is to transfer our, our, our knowledge and in, in technology to them, and then you know it's it's it always makes sense to consolidate, right? You don't need like everyone doing like we were ODC is six acquisitions. You can imagine how much duplicate efforts are going on around the six acquisitions. I'm sure, right? yeah. So, yeah, so when, when you have a company that is made out of six acquisitions, all you do is merge technologies and, and re-issue uh, uh, projects, right? Did you regret selling when you sold? No, I don't. Okay. I think Oracle was an excellent choice. So looking back, if there's one thing you could have done differently in the life of Crosswise, what would have been? Well, I would uh, take things even more light, lightly than I took them, right? Really? That's, that's what I would have done. Um, it was tough being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Emotionally. It, very tough. Very, very Why? Tough. I, well, you, you get like, you know, anxiety. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and you get like, you know, and, and 
you, you feel butterflies all day, right? And it, you just get un, like less healthy, right? Yeah. And it's, it's hard. How many employees, when you sold it, did you manage? There was, uh, well, I managed like, around 13 to 15 at the time. I don't remember how much exactly. And today? Almost 30. Who was your most trusted advisor during this process? Well, you know, uh, the thing is, you know, I had a lot of friends. Yeah. And they're all like kind of, you know, helping out um, in the process of, of being an entrepreneur. I don't think I can say I had, you know, someone who was my mentor in starting a startup, actually. I, I'm assuming a lot of people did have such. I did not. I, I just had friends who started companies like, you know, Tamir, who yeah. I mentioned, you know, he started a company. He was, I think he was, I don't remember when it was acquired, but it was acquired around the time we were acquired. Um, so he was kind of there for me, you know, it, so it, it's, did you have any professional advisors? I mean, accountants, attorneys, obviously we discussed, you know, bankers, but in retrospect, you know, looking at the professionals who work with you. Well, no, not really. We had excellent lawyers and, you know, but, uh, but no, 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 like we, we didn't really have, you know, except the bankers that, you know, you know, helped us. It was mostly us in the, like Eyal, yeah. right? It was, that was not, we we didn't we had you know we had actually another friend of a uh, Vial like who worked at uh, with him uh, called God um, today also works at Pitango yeah, they, they were like you know helping us out in, in the process it was prop, they, they were part of the uh, the team right we were yeah. all like one team yeah uh, but yeah I, I can really say I, I had you know I was it was hard it was kind of alone now that you now I'm thinking about yeah. it I, I, I dealt with these things a lot you know alone just with my wife yeah spouses could be the greatest support oh yeah no doubt about it no doubt. been there and done that we've both been there and done that it's <laughs> yeah. uh, without our wives forget about it uh, for future entrepreneurs from around the world who will listen to this podcast what's the most significant lesson that you can you can talk about or teach them about what it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur, as a startup person? I would say that you need to use your relative advantage. Um, and you have to be number one in what you do. Because if you're not number one in what you do in the world and you don't know how to get there, um, it will be very hard for you to succeed, succeed massively. I mean, you, you, we, we hear, you know, a lot of success stories, but you know when you when you look at the numbers, right, and you look at how many startups actually try, you know they, you have a, a very very low chance to succeed probabilistically just because there are so many people who are trying. Um, so I think you know using your relative advantage is the number one advice I can give um, of something that you need to focus on. Another thing I I would say is don't underestimate how much how important it is um, to have good. Um, human skills, I think soft skills, interpersonal like, skills, interpersonal skills, right? Yeah. So it's it's it, I think it's you know think about how important it is for a startup. Multiply that by ten. That's how really how much important it is. It's important because when you raise money, you need to establish trust with your VCs. When you um, um, close deals, uh, when you eventually um, need to make a you know good impression uh, on a potential acquirer. Uh, when you need to raise, when you need to hire people, right? So all these things, if you're not, you know, the best people person 
that y- y- there is out there, yeah, then you're not going to be able to close the deal to hire the person or sell your company. You know? Yeah, it's not only about technology; it's it's also about people. There's something about the Israeli ecosystem that incubates entrepreneurs and and great startups. You've been through 8200, the elite intelligence unit. You're surrounded by friends who have been wildly successful. In your view, what is it about Israel that incubates these people? Well, like you. So you know, I, there's two uh, uh, two ways to look at it. One is like to talk about the 8200. Um, network, right, which is amazing. And it's very, you know, there's a psychological, sociological aspect of, you know, being up to par uh, with your friends. And if you're not as good as them, then you're nobody. That's like, you that's know, interesting. That's it, like, it's like a motivating, oh, yeah, yeah. It lights I mean, fires. Yeah. You've, you've probably heard, I mean, this is going to be kind of bad, I'm going to say, but you, you, there are a lot of suicides in places where there are like, um, the parents are pushing their kids to yeah. succeed, like in the Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. There's a lot of a high rates of suicide there for kids because they don't want to um, disappoint their parents. And, and that that's because, you know, there's a very high bar, right? Because people, Kind of try to reach that bar, and and I'm saying it in the. I know it's a bad connotation, but 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 I'm actually trying to say that, try to emphasize the importance of of social um, standards, right? Yeah. Like this is your the, the, you grew up in 8200, and you, we, that's your friends, and you have to be at least as good as them. And there's this, it's kind of an ego thing, right? So that's right. one thing, right? And and it's very hard, and it's you know, it's, it's there, it's, it's hard to resist, right? It's, it's, it, it makes people try. But I think the thing that makes people succeed is something completely different, which is the culture. And the culture, um, you know, working for almost three years now in Oracle, I can, I can say that the, the difference, the main difference between the culture of the American uh, average, um, you know, manager or engineer or person, whatever, is that they're driven by professionalism. Uh, they care about how they look like, they care about how they perceive, and that that's what, you know, that that's the, their whole career is by building their, their uh, um, uh, perception of what other people think, know, like value them. Their right? brand, in their brand, sense. Yeah. Right? They're building their brand throughout their career. Uh, whereas Israelis are much more results driven. No one cares about how they look like. They would usually, you know, wear sandals to work. They would probably stink a bit more than the average American. They don't care about how they look like or how, how they're perceived, being perceived. They care about, you know, getting things done. And, you know, if it's making money, if it's, you know, closing the deal, if it's selling their company, that's what they care about. And they'll do everything that they can to, to get to that uh, point. If there's something that you would do to, to improve the ecosystem here, what would you do? Well, you know, I would do a lot of things. I, I think, you know, what we're, Israel is missing is, uh, is the, uh, um, what, what opportunities are there out there in the actual, like, world, in the US, in China, in Europe, right? We're missing context on, on what's really going on, what's important, what's, what is the problem that we, we should you know, work on, what is the problem that we shouldn't because it's like too small, right? Too you insular, know, too meaning insular, you're, yeah, right? We don't have a good perception of, of the problems and the, the the problems that need to be solved and the big drivers behind uh, money in the world, right? And th- that that's what's kind of missing to the Israeli ecosystem. I think a lot of VCs are trying to solve this by um, creating growth funds, but it's not enough to 
uh, find money for growth. You need to fuel the, the the entrepreneurs and push them, you know, to... And I don't think it's we're doing it really badly. I just think we could do better, right? I know that you're... You're outspoken a little bit when it comes to politics, and you're, you're, you have your, your strong opinions, but do you think there's a role for government in trying to fill that specific um, hole that you just mentioned? There are some attempts. I think there are, there are successes as well. Um, I think you know Israel is, although slow in the bureaucratical sense in terms of government, is, um, has some nice ideas, incubators and such. Um, chief scientist. Also. Chief scientist, right, and funding. I mean, well, we, we can improve. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of things, and, and I'm kind of sometimes a bit uh, disappointed. Uh, but but I do think, you know, that we relative to other countries, we're, we're in a good place. I mean, we can improve, right? Everybody can improve. Everyone can improve. The, the day that you stop improving is the day that you shut your doors because yeah. uh, life is too short. Got to improve. Finally... Uh, one last question I want to ask you is, what is the one question an entrepreneur should ask themselves before they risk and launch a startup? Oh, that's an interesting one. And you thought this was going to be an easy interview. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll say this way. I think, you know, I, I, can, I can talk, I can give you a 10-minute uh, <laughs> answer, but I'll say what I, I'll give you the two-minute one. Uh, when a, an entrepreneur starts a startup, I think he has some sort of fantasy about how, how his startup's going to look like, which doesn't usually... Uh, um, Pan know, out. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's, it's, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not up to par with reality, right? You, you start up with imagining something and, and then you, you look for success and, and sometimes you think that raising money is success, but, but it's not, right? And, and you think everything will be fine, but it's not. And you kind of... You, you, uh, just you know, go with the flow. But you you actually need to understand that you know when you start a company, you need to fully understand what it actually means to start that company. What what is a good company that you know you're you should have and not what you're imagining, right? Um, and I think that's kind of missing to a lot of entrepreneurs, like the, the perception of how how their um, company should should be just function. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, companies in Israel don't succeed. Because they're more driven to towards what they want to do uh, versus what's really important. Um, that's, I think that's the, the number one. You know, the number one advice would be to like really, really understand. You know, what is what choice are you making? Do you, are you fully understand? Like, are you actually like what 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 is the field that you're going for? Who are the partners that you want to be with? Like, are you actually want to be with them for seven years? Uh, you actually want to hire and manage 30 people. You actually want to, you know, be on the plane all day and sell. Uh, is that things you want to, like you want to, is that what you want to do? Because I think that's really where. And to really consider those things before you even launch. I mean, yeah. you need to know what you're getting yourself into. Because a lot of people, you know, they, they might not even actually want to uh, be a star founder, right? They, they may want to, uh, you know, just work at some someplace and have a lot of impact. Okay, so go work for Facebook. You move a lot more money from from side to side if you work at Facebook and Google, rather than you know doing your own thing, right? Like starting right. a company usually is you know doing solving a problem which is you know one hundredth of the scale of what you can do in corporate, 
it's usually the the perception is usually the opposite where people think that it's you have more impact by, by having a startup but in fact it's the opposite you know most startups actually you know get acquired much much before way way before they actually get to uh, um, to you know a sizable product sales and and, and, a, and a good product and and uh, uh, product market fit even right I mean it, it, sometimes it's just you know people just hire people and then sell them as you know for, for an acquire um, so that's my, my advice Ron Ryder, thank you very much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And we're looking forward to hearing about interactive tutorials to see where you take that. It's, 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 it. it's really interesting. And uh, thank you. No, for sure. No problem. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Maklis. And the senior research analyst is Lior Lebin. If you have a startup that you think we should feature on air, please email me at yigal.marcus at bernstein.com or at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. No good startup in Israel is too big or too small. And in our new upcoming Just Starting Up segment, we'll give entrepreneurs with a big idea the opportunity to bring those ideas to the world. A big, very special thank you to my employer, Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, who has been incredibly supportive of this initiative. And please... Share these podcasts with your friends, like us on Facebook, and please, please, please rate us on iTunes. Until next time, thank you for listening.